Let us turn to the Word of God, dear friends, for our instruction, for our worship, for our praise, for our meditation this morning. We turn to the book of 2 Samuel in the 8th chapter. Book of 2 Samuel and the chapter 8. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us come and hear together His Holy Word. The Lord help us, give us ears to hear now His Word and hearts to receive His precious Word by faith. And after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. David took Methiameg Armah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. And David smote also Hadazir, the son of Reob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven hundred horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. And David hewed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them for an hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came, to succor Hadiasia, king of Zobah, David slew the Syrians, two and twenty thousand men. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadiasia and brought them to Jerusalem from Betha, and from Berothai, cities of Hadiazah. King David took exceeding much brass. When Toi king of Hamath heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadiazah, then Toi sent Joram his son unto King David to salute him, and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadiazah and smitten him. For Hadiazah had wars with Toi and Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord, with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations which he subdued, of Syria and of Moab and of the children of Ammon and of the Philistines and of Amalek and of the spoil of Hadiezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. David got him a name when he returned from smiting the Syrians in the valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. And he put garrisons in Edom, throughout all Edom, put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruah, was over the host, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests, and Sariah was the scribe. And Benina, the son of Jehoadiah, was over both the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief rulers. 
Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord instruct us from his word. May the Lord bless that public reading of his most holy and fallible, inerrant and sacred word. All to the glory of his name and to the good of our needful and never-dying souls. Well, let us come before the Lord together in prayer. Let us bow before him. Well, dear congregation, dear friends, I invite you now to please turn your prayerful attention to the words that I read to you in your hearing earlier, there in the book of Second Samuel in the 8th chapter. Week by week, we have been going through consecutively the book of Samuel, of course, uh, the original, there was not first and second Samuel, it was just one book, like the book of Kings. And this is, of course, all given by inspiration of Almighty God. Now, remember last week, in the chapter 7, we saw David in his palace. Remember, Hiram, the king, the foreign king, gave instruction to all of his servants to build a house for David, and it was built there in Jerusalem. And there is David sitting in his palace and feeling quite out of place because the Ark of the Covenant was merely in that tent, in that tabernacle. The first tabernacle was a tent. And remember, it was moved from place to place. It's finally recently been brought into Jerusalem. But there is David in his great palace and living in wonderful opulence as the great king. But he sees the Ark of the Covenant. As I said, in that tabernacle. Now the tabernacle, and particularly the ark of the tabernacle, represented God's presence. Remember how God said that he would dwell there and speak to sinners. There between the cherubim, where the mercy seat was sprinkled, and the cherubim overlooked the mercy seat. And God said there he would speak with Moses, and he would meet sinners, and there would be Sin, as it were, propitiated there, as it was all, of course, typical. Christ is our mercy seat. The Lord Jesus Christ sits now upon not a throne of judgment for his people, but he has sprinkled the very throne room of heaven, that mercy seat in heaven, by the sacrifice of himself. Remember how, when he breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that God had made open a new and living way, and that is by the death of his Son, who is the Lamb of God, who lay down his life for his sheep. So the earthly tabernacle and the things have passed there in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, the very ark itself represented the very presence of God, and David sees that somehow this is very unfitting, that God should be in a tent, that is, of course, his presence, the Shekinah glory over the ark, but David in his palace. And remember, as we looked at chapter 7, verse 1, and uh, the king says this to Nathan, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do that is all that is in thine heart, for the Lord it is for the Lord is with thee. David desired to build a place for the Lord, but the Lord says no. Nathan says, do all that is in thine heart. 
Nathan the prophet recognizes David's right spirit. But it was wrong of David, wasn't it, to just do what he thought. There was zeal for the Lord. Nathan recognized David's godly motive in the verses 2 and 3. But really, Nathan ought to have known better as we thought. It was not right. David had zeal, but it was not according to knowledge. And there, again, the same applies to us as Christians in our lives. Remember the parallel passage in Second Chronicles 17, verse 4. We read there the word to Nathan the prophet, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in. There, Second Chronicles 17, verse 4. Nathan was instructed by the Lord that very night to go and to tell David not to build a place. And we know, if you notice in 2 Samuel 7, we saw it last week, verse 11b there, we read that while David wanted to build a place for the Lord, a more permanent structure, the temple, it was not for the Lord for David to build a place. But the Lord will build something in time. Notice in verse 11b, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. But David has a house. David has a palace. Yes, but this is an eternal home, an eternal abode. The Lord will establish David's family. That's true. But David could say in that Psalm 23 in the verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That refers to that eternal kingdom. That place where we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the verse 3, where John is given the vision of heaven, and he sees and hears. And we read, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So ultimately, David will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. Why? Because, as we remember, we studied last week, David would have a seed, Solomon, who would build a temple. David was not allowed to build a temple, but Solomon will build a temple. But after Solomon, a greater than Solomon would come into the world. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself said that, and a greater than Solomon is here. And he said, destroy this temple. And after three days, I shall raise it again. The temple really is and through Jesus Christ. He that is greater than the earthly temple will build his temple. Zechariah 6 verse 12, we're reminded there, it's a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. If you notice in that chapter, it's branch with all capital letters referring to the righteous branch, which is the Lord Jesus. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory. Not Solomon. Not David, but he who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Did the Apostle Paul not say to the Corinthians, he said, 
Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of God? Therefore glorify God in your bodies. This is why as Christians we, we take care of our bodies. We honor the Lord. It's his, our hands, our feet. Every fiber of our being has been bought by him. Know ye not that you are the Lord's? And so therefore everything in our lives, Paul says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices unto God. Peter says we are coming as living stones unto the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the head, the temple, is all in Christ. It's all prefigured here. So David would have a house built for him. It's an eternal home. It's to be tabernacle with God and his people forever and forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Ultimately, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of it all, remember David was told not to build anything. David, his son, would build it. We know from 1 Kings 6 that Solomon built the temple. Now, what we have here in uh, chapter 8, we read in verse 1, we come to chapter 8, verse 1 this morning. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methgamah out of the hand of the Philistines. What we could write, I suppose, over this chapter is the humility and the service of David in his life. You consider it, the Lord has made him great. We're reminded in the Chapter 7, remember how the Lord, in verses 11 and 12, tells him, Did I not make you great, David? Were you not a mere shepherd boy? Were you not given responsibility over the sheep, and have I now not made you shepherd over Israel? We read that in that chapter. Verse 11, And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from the enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. But the Lord has blessed him up until this place. He reminds David in the earlier verses, verse 9, I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. I have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. He reminds him earlier that he was a, a shepherd boy. And the Lord has never forsaken. The Lord not wanting to break David's spirit, saying, look back on all that I've done for thee, David. But this task now is not for thee. It'll be one for one who is greater, even greater than Solomon. Solomon will build a temple. But there is going to be one, as Zechariah tells us, who will actually build a house for David and all of David's people forever and forever. And do we not thank the Lord for that? Now we notice here, in this chapter, David doesn't go sulking. He doesn't go and hide. Remember like Ahab when he was told he couldn't have Nabas vineyard. How he turned to the wall and he began to sulk like a little boy, sucking his thumb and pouting. David's not like that. He gets on with his work as king. And here is a great man. It's not for him to do it. But we read here, David smote the Philistines and subdued them. 
What a spirit. It's a remarkable spirit. We live in a day and age, friends, when so many people think they have the right to do everything. They have a right to every office in the church. They have a right to do various things. We, we thought in the prayer meeting, didn't we, in uh, Romans chapter 12, that how in the church of God, every man ought not to, be, to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to be of a humble, a low mind. And we are to be. David was humble. He was king. But he continued on with his work now as king, subduing all these enemies. And we notice, after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methgama out of the hand of the Philistines. David, it seems, doesn't slack in his labor for the Lord, but he's all the more, isn't he, pressing on. You see, because David realizes, as the Lord causes him to reflect back, David says in that Psalm 18, Thy gentleness has made me great, O Lord. How gentle the Lord has been. And all that David is, is by the grace of God. And all that you and I are, friends, are by the grace of God. We brought nothing into the church. We can bring nothing. We can offer God nothing. But as we thought about in the prayer meeting, remember what Paul said, though I be nothing, we are to decrease and when we humble ourselves, only then will God use us. It's only then, friends. And you see David here pressing on with the work. Now it says here, David took Methgama. Now in the parallel passage, if you turn to First Chronicles chapter 18, you'll see that Methgama is actually Gath. It says there, Now after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and her towns out of the hand of the Philistines. So it seems that it's another name for Gath. It's the parallel passage. Remember, Gath was the place where David played the fool. It was the place where he feigned madness, where he pretended to be somebody who had lost his marbles, as it were. And uh, what a disgrace he brought to himself. There he was dribbling and scrabbling on the doors before the king, the king of Gath. Well, Gath was a wicked place, wasn't it? But what a turnaround now. David comes and he subdues that place. They were the enemies of God. What on earth was he doing there? But look at him now. He, he makes God. And it's only right that David destroys these Philistines. The Israelites were commanded by Almighty God to utterly destroy all of these enemies. For they were spiritually no good to Israel. They were heathen. They believed in false gods and they practiced abominable things. They were wicked. They were merciless when it came to the children of God. And it's only right that David took Methgama or Gath out of the hand of the Philistines. Only right. This is God's judgment and being fulfilled now. But David before, remember, was in a terrible backslidden state. He feigned madness because of his fear of Saul. 
But now he is restored again. And God gives him power to smite the Philistines. Isn't it wonderful? These are the real victories that David is knowing. Areas in lives in his life where he had failed before. But now he's doing great exploits for God. And it reminds us, dear friends, as Christians, you know, God can restore the years that the locust has taken. God can restore to us times when we have failed him. And we will know victory over sin. Isn't that wonderful? How gracious God is. And then we read the, the, the victory over the Moabites. And the, he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured, he put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. Now, he had laid the Moabite men down here in three lines and slew two of them. So two-thirds of them were killed. Now, exactly why he laid them down, we don't know for sure. But one thing we do know, and some people might think, well, this is rather unduly severe. This is extremely harsh, but this was according to God's word. In fact, they all deserve to die. God had said that all of the enemies need to be utterly destroyed. Now, if people balk and get up and walk out of the service this morning, because of this, we shouldn't be offended. Nobody deserves to be alive. Not one of us, friends. When you realize the sin that you have committed and I have committed in our lives, we ought to realize where we ought to be. All deserve wrath. All deserve God's judgment. Never ask for justice. Never ask for fairness. These people were the inveterate enemies of not only God, but God's people in Israel. They could care less. And all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. So nobody deserves anything. All, if they want justice, deserve wrath. Never ask God to be fair. Because fairness means you go to hell, my friends. Now, this is all a a fulfillment of a two-part prophecy. In Numbers 24, this destruction of Moab, verse 17. Remember how Balaam came and enticed the men of Israel with a Moabite woman. We read there in Numbers 24, 17, and here's a prophecy concerning the destruction of Moab. I I shall see him. But not now. It's concerning the Savior, the Lord, to come. I shall behold him, but not nigh. And then we read, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Now it's a two-part prophecy. Firstly, fulfilled in David, but then ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who will destroy all of his enemies. He reigns now, scriptures tell us. 
Psalm 110, we're told, until the Father makes his enemies his footstool. He has sat down right now at the majesty on high of the Father until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. So it's a fulfillment in David, but all ultimately in Christ. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. We're seeing the humility of David. Also in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, we read, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever, because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam. But the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. So this is actually being fulfilled in David. This is prophecy. So there is a promise. Very clearly here there is prophecy and a command. And David is being faithful to the command. So David, he reduces them in size for Israel's good. That's what he's doing. It's, it's for Israel's good. And, and so it is in the world. Of course, it's not vengeance. is not for us. The Lord says, I will repay. And anything that God does in the, in the world is for the good of the church. Because remember, the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. Governments and rulers are subject to God ultimately. And God ruleth over all. And he has said in Psalm 46, And I will be exalted amongst the heathen. God will be glorified. Now you notice, here they would have to pay tribute to David yearly. And we read on here. In the verses 3 to 8, we read of the smiting there of the Syrians. And the key is, Really there in the verse 6, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. It was the Lord preserving, whether it was the Syrians, whether it was the Edomites, whether it was the Philistines. David smote all of these enemies. You notice in the verse 4, David took him a thousand chariots and 700 horsemen and 20,000 footmen. And David hewed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them a hundred chariots. Now this might seem to be a barbaric thing to do, but God had actually commanded it to cut the hamstrings of the horses. In Joshua 11, we have that instruction, that command of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up, all slain before Israel thou shalt hew. Some pronounce that differently, how their horses and burn their chariots. With fire. That was an instruction. Now, animals are going to die. Now, these horses were rendered lame. They couldn't fight. That was the whole reason for that. They, some of them could recover. It's been proven that horses can recover if the hamstrings are cut. But they would lie down. They'd be rendered useless for a while, and the enemies couldn't use them to pull chariots and so on. And you notice how. All of these enemies are destroyed. And, and it says in the verse 6, And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. 
That's the key. Now, what's the application for all of this, dear friends? It's important. David, after he has been told he cannot build the temple, yet he served the Lord with great zeal. He didn't lack. Pride never got to him. As I said, this is commonly a problem in the church. You know, people are told that they're not fit for a certain role or responsibility. And the church don't see it right or we don't see it's the Lord's will. A humble man will accept it, like David. If you turn to Acts 13 and the verse 36, we read there how David served his generation. And uh, it says, therefore, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. And that's what we need today. We were thinking this morning about serving others and ultimately serving the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? With sincerity, with honesty. Well, that's what David did. He served the Lord. He served his generation. And that's how you serve the Lord. You see, what, what David did was not out of his own interests. And it's interesting, it says in this chapter here that David got himself a name. That is, not in the negative sense, that is, through all uh, the valiant efforts and the responsibility that God had given him, David, should we say, in a positive sense, got, had a good name. As a man who said, that when he was given a responsibility, he did it. It is verse 36 there of Acts 13. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. And that's what David did. He served his own generation. Let me say this, he finished the work which God had sent him to do. And it's the same. For the Lord Jesus Christ, did he not say there in John 17, I have finished the work which thou hast sent me to do. Humble work this was for David, a difficult work. And so we read here, the Moabites became his servants. Now, the Moabites he should have utterly destroyed, but he didn't. And we can see the imperfections in David. But when it comes to our Lord Jesus Christ, he could say, I always do the things which please my Father. He finished when he cried on the cross. It is finished. He did everything that he was supposed to do. There was a king who completely did everything that he was meant to do. David was commanded to destroy all of these enemies, but he spared some, and we're told here how they paid tribute. Now, this is interesting, because do you know that most of Solomon's wealth, where did it come from? It came from David. You read how these nations give David silver, gold. This is the beginning of Solomon's wealth. And David, he used all of this, it says here, He gave tribute to the Lord in all of this. So all that David had and all that he had acquired 
he gave to the Lord. Now, it, it doesn't negate from the fact that David was not completely um, given over to utterly destroying these enemies. Look at verse 11, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver, the gold, that he dedicated of all nations which he subdued. You see, all that David acquired, the wealth and everything, went toward the Lord and to the building of the temple. And David, in a sense, in a great sense, gave Solomon all that he needed to build the temple. And there's a lesson there in itself. You think of all that the Lord Jesus Christ did in this world. It was a rough, hard work to come and to live amongst sinners, to come into this world who he had made. And yet the world knew him not and did not honor him, but despised him. And yet he was forsaken. He did not receive honor and glory in this life. But now the Father has given him a name, which is above every other name, that every knee should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We were thinking with the children this morning of how the Lord Jesus Christ, there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, commands his children, do not give your arms before men, that you may be seen of men. He says, do not be as the hypocrites who love the praise of men. David wanted God's praise. This was hard work. But all that he had acquired, he gave over and submitted to the Lord. And that is the kind of service that the Lord honors, my friends. To build a temple would be a great honor. But let me say this, this is the real work. The subduing of enemies. And those things that would harm the church. In your life, to put to death sin. Those are the real enemies of the soul, are they not? The things that war against the flesh. This is real honor. This is the way you serve God. Not simply to have a title and an office in the church. But this is what pleases God the Father. And you think of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for 30 years, my friends, he lived as the carpenter's son, and yet he was the one who made the world, who made the trees, who made the skies, who made the heavens. And yet he was prepared for people to say, is this not? Joseph's son, the carpenter. He was doing good, yet never received glory in his life. But then he cried, it's finished. Now the father said, sit down, my son. My right hand, till I make thine enemies my footstool. You see, the lesson is David secured the enormous wealth for son Solomon to build the temple. But you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends. 
He who made the law came under the law as the last Adam. To live under that law. To earn for his people, not silver or gold, but a spotless righteousness before the majesty of God, so that they may be clothed in him, so that we might have his wealth. Does not the apostle tell us, he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Think of it. Think of all that Christ had to do. Why? To exalt his people. David is doing what kings have failed to do for millennia. David is doing what kings and the judges have failed to do. Didn't do it perfectly. But friends, there's a glimpse, there's an image of the one who was greater than David to come into the world and to give his all, to give us heaven and eternal life. It says there in verse 13, David got got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians. This is not in a negative sense. But David was known as a man of, the, of his word. And he said he would do something. He would do it. Not perfectly. But David was an honorable man. David, as Acts 13.36 tells us, served his generation. In a service, let me say this, is... Not merely attendance to things, is it? Some people pride themselves on church attendance. But that's foolish. You know, it's outward appearance, isn't it? What do you do the rest of the week? Some people pride themselves on 100% school attendance. 100% church attendance, but is that all you do? It's poor. It's not enough. The Lord says, my son, give me thine heart. And that's what David did. The, the, The real battles are to overcome sin, to overcome the world and temptation. That is the real battle. Do we do it on our own? The apostle says, no, if ye by the Spirit. That same Spirit was in David, my friends. That's why when he sinned, he said, Lord, remove not thy Spirit from me. Friend, the Christian doesn't do it in his own strength. It says here that the Lord was with David, whithersoever he went. And the Lord was with him because he was humble, because he was prepared to take the back seat. And the Lord honors that. David wasn't out to make a name for himself, but the interesting thing is that he got a name for himself as he served faithfully. Isn't that it? As a church, we're not out to promote the name of this church. 
as a minister, I should never be out to promote my name. But friends, what the Lord requires is that we walk humbly before him and sincerely. And all that he is commanded to do, we should do. And the Lord will not forget anything that we've ever done for anyone. Remember what he said, whatsoever thou doest for the least of these, you did it for me. And whosoever shall drink, give a drink unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. We read there in the book of Acts how David served his generation. And you look at the heart of it, who is behind the building of the temple? Look at the wealth, David. And, uh, you know, the Lord works through individuals in the church. Those who pray, those who are sincere. Often people cannot see what is done in the background. But let me say this, the Lord sees We learned with the children this morning that what is done in secret will one day be rewarded openly. You want the praise of men? You've got your reward, my friend. It's all you'll ever have. But you'll not have your praise of your Father in heaven. Now we notice here, David, he appoints his sons and other men to various offices. And it reminds us that grace doesn't run in the family, does it? Grace never it doesn't run in the family. I mean, some of David's sons were no doubt saved, but many of them weren't. You look at David's family. A vast majority of them caused him so much trouble. It says in verse 15, David reigned over Israel, all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. And Joab, the son of Zeruah, was over the host. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Eliud, was recorder. And as he kept the diary, anything remarkable that happened was recorded by him. And Zadok, the son of Ehetub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abithar, were priests. And Sariah, the scribe, and we read, Benaiah, the sons of Jehodadiah, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And these men, by the way, served the king in his immediate presence. They were given great honor. And these two ecclesiastical officers here, Zadok and Ahimelech, these men were especially employed in the priest's work and service of the temple. Now we know, as I said, when we think about David's sons, and we read here, and David's sons were chief rulers. Now, of course, only the Lord Jesus Christ is the master builder, isn't he? He's the builder of his church, and men make mistakes. And it reminds us here that, friends, grace does not run in the family. You think of this first, his firstborn, Ammon. Absalom killed him, because remember, Ammon raped Absalom's full sister, Tamar. It, it was horrific. The whole scene, bloodshed in the family. And then Absalom, the third son, and you have Kilab, sorry, second son. His mother was Abigail. It's not known what happened to him. But then you've got Absalom, the third son. 
Look at the life of Absalom, all that he did. He mounted a rebellion against his father, wanted to usurp his authority as king, and then you've got Adonijah, the fourth son. That was a disaster as well. He too attempted to usurp the authority of David. You can go right through the list. And then finally you've got Solomon. I mean, Solomon was certainly had his imperfections, didn't he? Certainly had his faults. The whole family is imperfect. It's true in the church of God. But let me say this. On David's deathbed, if you turn just for a moment to 2 Samuel 23, we read, now these be the last words of David, the son of Jesse, he said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing up out of the earth by a clear shining after rain. And then he said these words, notice verse 5, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, but this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. You see, David, as he looked at his family, as he looked at his life, he said, you know, it's not how it ought to be. What a mess it is. But I thank God for his covenant with me. And that is through his son, It is through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It is through that same covenant that God the Father made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would have a seed. And eventually that seed would come into this world, Jesus Christ. And he would do everything perfectly. You see, those who are Christ's have the spirit of Christ in them, like David. And they will be humbled. And they will walk lowly. And they will look at their lives and they say, it's, it, it's not right with me. We don't take pride in our achievements. As I was addressing the young people yesterday, and saying to them, you know, we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. We considered from the Psalm 33 there, in the verse 18, that the Lord has his eyes upon them that fear him and them that trust in his mercy. And that mercy, my friends, is in Jesus Christ. If any monarch, if any prime minister, if anybody in this world is to get to heaven, it is by Jesus Christ and by him alone. None of us, including David, the end of our lives will say, at the gates of heaven, look at all I've done. 
Let me in. Let me in. Our only plea can be Jesus Christ. That's it. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have salvation. That's your hope. And if you have Jesus Christ, you love God. You fear Him. And you desire to keep His commandments out of a new heart. Amen.